Welcome to the Black on Black Education Podcast, where we interview the most brilliant minds and connected hearts to discuss our shared passion for the transformation, the revolution, reimagining, and recreation of education in the Black community. My name is Eva Loren Jean Charles, founder of Black on Black Education and New York City High School teacher. And I'm Jamal Thomas, her partner and dad, education enthusiast. And we're, and we're your, your host. host. Please don't forget to like, comment, share, and subscribe. And most importantly, to enjoy the episode. All right, Black and Black Education family, welcome back to another episode. We are going to get into it the same way we always do, by asking our guests who they are, what they do, and why they do it. Hello, my name is Clemente Hall Jr. I am an elementary school teacher in Southeast Michigan. Um, I've been teaching, I'll be entering my fourth year of teaching coming up here in a few weeks. And I really just, I love everything about it. I love most things about it. <laughs> um, and why I do it, I don't know. I just have a real passion for working with children and being a positive role model in their lives and um, just filling the void that may not be filled otherwise in terms of um, providing them with authentic lessons and education, as well as just um, being a black male role model um, and putting a positive influence on that in, in my students as well. Yeah. And we, we absolutely love to hear that. And, and we're excited about this conversation specifically because you're like, you know, you're a unicorn out here, bro. You, you're, you know, you're, you're a part of, uh, you know, the mighty 2% uh, yes. had like a, a clubhouse chats a couple months ago with some, you know, fantastic male educators. Um, and there's so few, there's mm -hmm. so few. So we kind of want to start with, uh, you know, what does it feel like being, um, and especially amongst in early childhood, what does it feel like to be, um, you know, uh, one of the one of the mighty 2%. <laughs> yeah, like personally, I don't too often think about the fact that that we're only 2%. Um, I do. I realize that and I recognize that. But when I'm in the classroom, it's, just, it's not something that is always on my mind or something that I'm always reflecting on. But knowing that fact, it does, I think, push me a little bit more um, to just be the best teacher that I can be for my students and just take the role really, really seriously, because I may be the only black male teacher that they have in their K-12 education experience. Um, I may be the only black male in their life that they interact with, you know, on a regular basis. So um, I take that very seriously and I want to do that role justice. Uh, I mean, that's so beautiful to hear, especially when you think about, I mean, we're just in a space where there is a juxtaposition between the educators that are doing the work and the educators that are fighting the work. Um, and so when I say the work, I mean, making sure that we provide our students with the education that they deserve by tapping into who they are and allowing for them to explore that in the classroom. And, and so I just want to talk a little bit about how you do that particularly thinking about working with such young students and mm -hmm. being their introduction into schooling, right? Like they've been educated a whole bunch before they come to you, but they are starting their school experience with you. So just talk a little bit about the need to communicate with students in a way that effectively breaches them in order for young, young students to recognize the importance of education. Yeah, I think it really starts, you know, people say it all the time, but it really does start with just building strong relationships. Um, I solely believe that if you build those relationships and build those bonds with your, with your students, um, they're going to be more apt to learn and more willing to learn and they're going to enjoy learning more. So, you know, I try to take those first few weeks, especially to really spend time getting to know my students, not just who they are inside the classroom, but also also 
who they are outside the classroom so I can bring those things in so that they can see Mr. Hall really cares about me. He really knows me. He really understands me um, in a similar way that my family does so that they can have that that family feel and that love in the classroom as well so that they're comfortable and able to learn to the best of their ability. So it starts with um, with relationships. And then beyond that, I just try to incorporate a lot of different styles of learning, you know, music and a lot of movement, kinesthetic learning, um, just to keep it it fun because nobody wants to do something for six, seven hours a day if they aren't enjoying it. So I'm always trying to spice things up, keep it fun. Um, you know, teaching is a big, a big part of it is just acting. So we don't always feel it, but when I get in that classroom, I can 99% of the time put on that smile and make it through the day, um, regardless of whether I am in the mood to or not. But you know, when you see students are enjoying the learning and they're putting in the work, it's always worth it. Yeah. And you talked about, you know, enjoying learning. And we often talk about the idea that, you know, school's supposed to be a place where kids go to love learning, like that that feeling where they have a lifelong love um, of learning. And oftentimes, you know, I don't know if it happens so much in kindergarten and first grade, but certainly as you get, well, first and second, I think that the kids start to get that um, feeling of learning was fun. I was super curious. I did like, you know, to bring new things into my head. And now I'm getting to a place, it's kind of artificial and the walls are here and, and, and now I'm being told that I'm wrong about things. And I'm being told that, you know, oh, wow, there's this red F. And, and I've heard that that's, you know, happens a little bit less than it, you know, than, than it used to. But yeah. talk about, you know, your, your feeling on your responsibility um, for, for making sure that kids start the process of loving learning and making that love so strong um, that teachers after you, you know, if they're not as, as good as you are, um, don't, don't start, start to uh, kind of pull that out of children. Yeah. So believe it or not, more often than than you would think. Kindergartners even come into school sometimes already cynical about learning and, you know, this is for babies and why do we have to do that? And you kind of have to like just stifle that right from the beginning and have those side conversations with students one on one about how you're not going to enjoy everything. That's that's not what we're here. I can't you, I can't provide you with exactly what you want all the time, but I'm going to do my best to get something that you enjoy or a few things that you enjoy in every single day. So you're not going to like everything, but you will get something every day. Um, and when they start to see that, you know, you can bring them out of their shell. They're going to see other students enjoying the learning. They're, they're going to be more willing to do that as well. Um, and it's just really important because you want to instill that love for learning, like you were just mentioning, in them before someone else has a time to, to hinder it if that makes sense. So we want to build a really strong enjoyment for learning. And it's kind of that idea of third grade where up to third grade, we are learning to read. And then once you get to third grade, there's a switch where you're reading to learn. And a lot of times that's kind of the age where, where there's a little bit of a shift in how we view education or how students view their learning. Um, so if we can get them and capture their hearts for learning in kindergarten through second, third grade-ish, they're, you know, they're more prone to to maintain that throughout their K-12 experience. So as much as I can, I just try to bring a passion to the classroom and um, again, understand who my students are and what their interests are so that I can bring that into our classroom and our lessons. Absolutely. I mean, the passion comes through just in this conversation. So I know that when you're with the kindergartens, you see their sweet little faces that you like, it continues. It's a little bit easier to like have a bad day when you got a bunch of grumpy teenagers in front of you. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so I definitely wanted to kind of 
get in and start thinking about you as an author, right? So you're not just tapping into teaching and learning and engaging with students and, and building this light within them from inside the classroom. You're also doing it in books that kids can hold. Um, and so I would love for you to talk a little bit about your book that is uh, geared toward young children and like why that was so important for you to kind of bring that into the world and create that piece of knowledge to, to live on. Yeah, thank you. So within the past year, I published my first children's book, Brown Boy Dreams. Um, and it's just a story about a young boy um, with, with black or brown skin, however you want to say it, however you want to view it. But he's exploring uh, just his dreams and his ambitions, and he's correlating them to things that he does in his everyday life. So for instance, you know, he has a pet dog. He likes to care for his dog. And he's really passionate about that. And he's thinking about, OK, I could translate these skills and this love into being a veterinarian. Um, because I think a lot of times as children, we have these ideas, but nobody's talking to us about exactly what that could mean for our future. You know, we just have all these things that we like in their hobbies. And I think it's really important to um, to take those moments to highlight like, hey, you're really interested in this. That's great. Continue to love it. Continue to learn about it. But also think about what could you do with this as an adult or maybe as a career? You don't have to, but it, it's an option. And when students start to know what their options are, the sooner the better, in my opinion, when they know what their options are, they're going to find their calling and their true passion. And then ultimately, they're going to be more successful um, and happy in life overall. So. I guess I didn't answer the whole question, but why did I write this book? Um, I have um, a number of black and brown students in my classroom, and I was just thinking about, you know, this big big push for them to read by the time they're in third grade. We have, at least here in Michigan, we have that new law of if you aren't um, at a certain level by third grade, there's a potential for retention. Um, so with that in mind, there's a big push for students to be reading by third grade. And it's like, okay, that's great. But if they aren't getting books that they see themselves in and they don't feel represented in these books and they don't love the books that they're reading yeah. again, they're not going to be as successful as they potentially could be. So that just pushed me to want to create something um, to contribute to that, uh, you know, children's literature and kind of like a gift to my students in my classroom and the schools that I work in um, so they can see, you know, if you see a problem, you, whoever you are, myself or their self, have the power to to make a difference in those areas too. Absolutely, that was exactly what I was gonna say. It's showing everyone around you, but even the students that if you see a gap, if you see something that is just not working the way that you want it to work, you don't have to just let it happen. You can right. immediately and effectively do something about that. And so I think that that's right. such an important lesson for educators and for students, because um, the earlier that you learn to have agency and to do things to give yourself more agency, um, I mean, you get to you get to do really awesome things that have huge impacts on on yes. other people around you. So thank you. <laughs> and, 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 and the thank you goes, you know, I'm sure the, the students want to say thank you, but it, it's also the teachers because, you know, when, when we look at your work, when we look at your, you know, your page, like you, you put a smile on people's face. Like every time I, you know, go past one of those posts, I'm, I'm, I'm laughing. You know, the most recent one, I'm sure people are feeling the same about, you know, as they're walking back into the classroom, <laughs> uh, you know, actually tell people about that. What, you know, just, just that specific post, you, you know, you're walking back into the classroom. I, I'm sure people can relate. Was it the classroom one or the one where I was in the front yard? Uh, it was the class. You looked like you were dropping off um, okay. supplies and somebody, you know, try to get you to do more, more than just that. Yeah. So that's just a little joke. It's, you know, lighthearted and not aimed at anyone in particular, as most of my TikToks and videos are. Um, but just 
I felt like the pandemic was such, I know it was such a hard time for everybody, educators and um, you know everyone alike in different ways. Um, so it was therapeutic for, for me to be on social media and making TikToks and knowing that I was bringing a little bit of joy to people's day. And it was just a really interesting niche to kind of tap into because teachers, we just, we understand each other. We know what we're going through and we have experiences that no other profession really has or understands. So when you can take those moments that only this group of people really understands and put a little spin on it and, you know, make a joke out of it, I think it helped to make the pandemic a little bit more bearable for me and it sounds like other people as well. So that's why I make my TikToks. And that particular one was like, you know, you just want to get in and get out sometimes in the summertime. You have a little something to do in the classroom or in the building and you get stopped and somebody wants to talk for a really long time. And that's <laughs> not your objective, but it happens to us all from time to time. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, there's you and like a cluster of folks who the 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 guy who dresses up like the administrator woman. Yes. Is, like, they it is like did we all have the same experience is like all, every single one of us it, it just gives you that comfortability knowing i'm not going through this alone and it gives right. you enough sometimes just smiling just taking that moment to actually smile gives yeah. you like all right let me go finish this lesson plan like all and right seeing people say things that we all think but we don't have yeah. the, the 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 wherewithal to say it in everyday life but if you Put it in a TikTok. All of a sudden, it's, it's okay to say, and you can exactly. you, know, you can commiserate <laughs> over over all those little problems together. TikTok so. is teacher therapy. I love it. Exactly. <laughs> uh, Go ahead. Yeah. No. I mean, the next question was just to talk about your impact on educators. So it's it's a perfect segue because you are not someone who is just focused on um, the students' needs. You also start to think about and engage with educators on how they um, can better do the work of being an educator. And so um, you have another book where you where you spoke where you speak to teachers about how they can um, kind of figure out how to manage their classrooms. Just talk a little bit about that. Uh, tap in for folks who who don't know and who haven't gotten the book yet. <laughs> Yeah, so this was actually the first book that I wrote several years ago, New Teacher's Guide to Classroom Management. Um, and there are 10 just really actionable strategies that you can implement basically right in the moment because I had a, a fairly challenging first year of teaching. Um, I won't say I was thrown into there. I had a lot of support and everything, um, but the group that I was working with had behavioral challenges, um, learning challenges, just a lot of different things that as a first year teacher, it was like, wow, how do I manage all of this? And I just learned so much from that experience. And I think having really the hardest year of teaching be my first year, at least to this point, well, that's not true. COVID is the hardest year now, it's, it's been top. But having such a difficult first year um, set me up for success because it's like, oh, I dealt with that my first year of teaching. I, I already know how to handle it or, oh, that's nothing. It was, it was much more challenging my first year. So I feel like kind of being thrown into the fire and having just a really strong initiation has helped me to be the teacher that I am today. So I'm grateful for that experience. And I just wanted to share all the things that I learned because I feel like if we all had that first day or that first year of teaching and we all had these challenging moments, why aren't we sharing our best practices not just with our peers inside of a school, but you know, across the board. Why, why aren't we sharing our best practices um, to help the next person be more successful on that first day or first year? So that's why I wrote that book. And in terms of helping teachers through social media, that really wasn't even my, my goal initially. Right. Um, social media was more of a, 
again, it's it's really therapeutic for me to kind of process my thoughts and my story when I'm going through things or just want to share things or reflect on my day rather than sitting in silence and thinking I can hop on my story and kind of talk through it and get feedback from other educators. So that's a big reason that I do it. And as I was posting, you know, little clips and uh, moments of my lessons in the classroom and starting to get all this feedback about, wow, that's a great idea or, whoa, where'd you get that from? Where I like that. Could you share this? I was realizing like, okay, what I'm doing in the classroom, everyone else is not doing. I assume that like everybody knows this, everybody's doing these things and that's not really the case. A lot of people were saying, wow, this is really great. So I kind of just ran with it and continued to share my ideas. And I don't ever think like, well, I'm the best or this or that, or I need to, I'm just sharing what I'm doing. If you like it, feel free to use it. If you don't like it, that's okay too. So, so talk a little bit about like some of the specifics, um, you know, you, you've obviously had that, you know, a situation we talked a little bit before this, you know, where, where students, you know, they, they, they came in with some behavioral issues and things to that effect, but you're able to do mm -hmm. some things um, to help manage them better. So talk about some of the specifics, maybe give a, a story or anecdote of, you know, without students' names, obviously they are kindergartners, yeah. um, <laughs> you know, but, but somebody who, 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 you know, kind of walked through whatever process you did and, and really transformed how they acted out, acted in the classroom. Yeah, so in the grand scheme, I think it comes down again to relationships, but not falling into those power struggles because I think as educators, we we kind of thrive on power, we kind of thrive on being in charge. And you know, that's one of the reasons we're we're teachers. We like to kind of have control over our space and what we do. But it's easy to forget that these are human beings. So even though you're technically in charge, you technically have authority in this space. These aren't robots. They aren't just going to do whatever you tell them to do. You have to come to an agreement and a mutual respect to make that community, that classroom community work. So when you get that into your mind and you switch your mindset from I'm in charge, you need to do what I say to, OK, how can we work together to make this a successful uh, space in a successful school year? I think that helps a lot. So I give lots of options. I don't necessarily make students um, do work right in that moment if they're not feeling it that day you know like you can take a break you can do it another time um you do have to do it at some point but we can figure out when you want to do it or how you want to do it like you don't always have to write your sight words maybe you want to build your sight words with play-doh or write the sight words in shaving cream or just give options because you know <laughs> like nobody is going to like everything that you tell them to do so if you allow them to have some control and some authority over what they do they're going to be more prone to to do what you ask them to do. <laughs> so true. And I think that's something, unfortunately, that we don't, we, we are getting to the point where we understand how important that is in high school, but we're not recognizing how important that is just the same in kindergarten, mm -hmm. because how do they get to a high school that wants to hear their feedback or that wants to engage with them on that level, but they've never been taught how to deal with a power structure that they might have had that's completely different than the power structure that they're seeing in in high school and so we go we get to to the workforce and i think i have to say yes to everything that my boss says that i have to do because i've had to say yes to everything that my teachers did throughout my right. life so I think that starting out in kindergarten, telling them and allowing them to recognize that like you do have choices, you do have options, you still have expectations, mm -hmm. but you have choices and options about how you meet that goal. And so exactly. I think that's really, really important to talk about um, in the kindergarten context. 
and, and what you said was saying that even was so true just because it's almost all adults in, in a working environment they know that they want agency um, mm. I believe that you know kids want anything anything different and you know it, it's it's I love what you said Clemente around just the you know the power struggle sure you're you're a child and 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 I'm an adult and in that you know that there is a power dynamic that is just you know inherently natural um, mm. but it can be a completely controlling power dynamic where you know I am the law or it can be one where you do what you said and you give them choices um and and in that it it, it, it takes away it, it the power dynamic is there but the power struggle goes away um, right so you you know it, it's it's I, I love you know where you where, where you were going with that yeah, yeah and I like to tell my students to, I'm sorry to cut you off um I like to tell tell my students that you know I'm not really there to be in control I'm there to keep them safe and to help them when they have those those things that they can't work through on their own. So there's a lot of things that I just allow my students to do. And one that really shocked me, again, something I thought probably a lot of teachers do this in their classroom, um, but it was a TikTok that I created and I allowed a student to answer the phone for me. And I got like thousands of comments of people saying, I wish my teachers had done this. I have phone anxiety to this day. I don't like to answer or talk on the phone. If I had practice all those years in K-12, I might not be in this situation. It's like, that's true. And it's, again, for the students, it's like, okay, like this is almost like home. I can pick up mom or dad's phone. I can pick up Mr. Hall's phone, you know, in the appropriate way. So, and it's building those skills and helping them feel like this is a, a family environment as well. So. Absolutely. I think like we keep, you're a kindergarten teacher. I taught 12th grade last year, like on completely different ends of the spectrum, but what you're saying is exactly what I do in my classroom with my high school students. Like it is interchangeable uh, because the reality is just as much as kindergartners like play, so do the ninth graders and 10th graders and 12th graders who are yeah. coming in and telling me about how they beat the level of whatever game that I don't know exists. <laughs> like, they love play. They love that engagement, that excitement, those options, the ability to, to see how far they can push themselves. It's consistent as we get older. And the more and more that we push to stifle that, the more and more it harms the child. And so what you're saying is like, let's start in kindergarten. Let's introduce them to these things now. Let's get them excited about learning, about engaging, about asking questions, um, about pushing boundaries and figuring out power dynamics, like all of these high level themes that we we talk about in teacher prep programs, but are not actually happening in practice when we still mm -hmm. allow the power struggle um, to define how the classroom works. And so right. I'm just, I'm just grateful to be in this conversation because I think that it is so powerful. And I want you to just talk a little bit about, talk directly to other kindergarten teachers. Um, and, and what are the transformations that they should be seeing in their students over the course of the year? What are the things that they should be looking for? And what are those skills that they really should be working on building again as the introduction into students' schooling experience? Mm -hmm. So I still really view kindergarten almost as like a preschool experience. Like it's setting you up for your official school experience in a way. Um, so with that said, as much as I want my students to be successful and they, you know, they are and I want them to achieve and meet those benchmarks and goals. I also understand that that may not always be the case because each student has their own circumstances and their own um, they're, they're on, in their own place in in development. Right. So I can't expect every student to end at the same place every single year. I can hope for that, but it's not necessarily realistic. So when we go into the cl classroom and keep that in mind, um, it helps me 
basically to look for certain things in their language and how they're viewing school as well as how they're actually performing in school, if that makes sense. So I, a lot of times at the start of the school year, students will say like, well, I'm not good at math or I can't read. So I, you know, I'm taking note of that and I'm starting to instill in them. Well, yes, you, you are good at math. Yes, you can read. You need a little bit more practice. There are specific things that we have to work on to get you to where you want to be or to help you read like your brother, your older brother can read. We have a process to work through, but you can't read. We're just not where you want to be just yet. So when they know that they have this growth mindset with, that we always talk about. Right. Um, and when I see that shift from deficit mindset to growth mindset, that helps me know that I'm doing something right because if they now know that just because i can't do it now doesn't mean that i won't ever be able to do it just because i haven't mastered it doesn't mean that i won't master it that means that i've given them that mindset that even if they don't achieve everything i want them to do academically in kindergarten they at least have that growth mindset to take with them on to first grade and second grade so um to other kindergarten teachers give some flexibility remember that they are four and five remember that um, expectations are very different now than they were for kindergarten in the past just mm -hmm. just give grace like nobody's perfect adults children as well we want to push them to work hard and to do their best um, but if they aren't able to do exactly what you want them to do in that moment or even in that year if you've given them a love and a passion uh, for learning that they're going to take on with them they're going to achieve those things later on anyway so you've still done your job so so that word grace has you know continued to come up over the course of the last you know year, year and a half and i love the fact that it's becoming a part of you know people's thought process and so you know i want to give grace to, to to parents because sometimes that deficit mindset that you're talking about the kids are coming in with it as a result of how they've been conditioned by their parents mm -hmm. so i'm curious you know what if anything do you do um, to work with parents to help them understand the process that you're going through with their kids so that they can reinforce those things at home. Yeah, so I do a weekly newsletter um, where I basically give our learning targets uh, for each area of learning, math, ELA, science, social studies. Um, I also give a, a connection for each subject. So this is actually something I learned from my cooperating teacher and student teaching, um, a really great idea that I carried on with me. So. Basically, whatever we're working on in ELA, I'm going to make a connection on exactly how families can support that at home. So if we're learning about characters in a story, I'm going to give the definition of what the kindergarten definition of what characters are, because a lot of times we can tell parents, oh, we're learning about this, but they're using a different language at home when they talk about it. And now the mm. kids are confused or parents haven't broken it down the same way you would in the classroom. So if you can uh, provide parents with the similar language to use at home. It's going to create a cohesive, um, a cohesiveness between home and school. And students are going to feel like, okay, everybody's on the same page. They're going to feel more successful rather than Mr. Hall told me this and you're telling me this and now I'm confused. So the more you can be on the same page, the mm. better. So really just that newsletter, keeping everybody up to date weekly and being proactive, letting them know what's going on before they have to ask you what's going on mm. is always your best bet. Yeah, especially when they, I mean, they're getting rid of, they not get rid of, but they dropping off their babies for probably a longer period of time than they might ever have before. Yes. So I definitely um, appreciate like the engagement with the family because that's something I'm extraordinarily passionate about. I used to know mm -hmm. so many teachers who are like calling home is not my, what? That is somebody's <laughs> kid. Like they right. want some updates. Yes. <laughs> So I love engaging with my parents because oftentimes I learn things about the child that I never would have learned from the child. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think that, that what you're doing just 
leaves that impact. Um, and it makes me think that if my dad had that little newsletter, he wouldn't have sent my homework back to school with question marks on it because he couldn't help me and he didn't know what to do. Right. So that newsletter helps. That newsletter would have been something handy. I just want to figure it out or something. I knew I did know. <laughs> he sent my homework back with question marks on it. Dad tried to help. We didn't know how to do it. With a little I'm letter. Just letting you have some healthy, some healthy struggle. That's all. <laughs> <laughs> they started that new math, but like with, with her. It like, wasn't even new math yet. Stop it. Common core didn't come out till I was in Stop trying to play me. Stop trying to play me. <laughs> <laughs> this is this is what happens on the podcast. The, the friendly daughter <laughs> banter. Um, but no, I mean, I think that exactly what you're saying is so integral to where we need to be looking forward facing going into next year. And so mm-hmm. I just want to I just want to kind of get from you as we begin to like round out is what is what's your call to action walking into what we are calling the new normal year we want educators want to empower educators to create a new normal in their classrooms and in their schools and so as we begin to continue to unpack what creating the new normal looks like as you step into um, next year in a new space um, teaching the same group as not the same group of students, but teaching the same demographic of students in terms of age. Um, what what are you arming yourself with in terms of how you can create the new normal in your classroom? I am arming myself with just a confidence and knowing that one, we already survived last year. So we, we, we have some tools in our toolkit already. So um, I'm trying not to go in and I encourage other people not to go into this new school year feeling like it's all brand new. It's not brand new. We've already done some of these things. So you know what worked, you know what didn't work. So rely on those things that did work um, in your classroom. Reflect, really take some time to think about what helped your students be most successful, what helped your parents to be most successful, and what helped you to be successful last school year, and really just lean into those things. So for me, it's making Nearpod slides, which are interactive slides that my students can follow along with. I use them in the classroom, and they're also, I use them um, if we have to switch to an asynchronous asynchronous or a virtual day. So we had that consistency. So now students are seeing the same thing at school in the classroom. If all of a sudden we have to switch to virtual, they're still seeing the same thing Um, at home. So just however you can build consistency and just be prepared for those changes that might arise, unfortunately, is gonna make your year be more successful. And again, with communication, that's another thing. I just try to always have my families know what's coming up, what's happening ahead of time. That's in terms of academics, also just in terms of small problems or challenges or good moments that happen in the classroom. Um, Because if so-and-so gets hurt and they go home and tell the story, it's going to be a very different story than Mr. Hall probably is going to tell in a more clear and thorough way, right? So if you can let parents know what's going on before students go home and confuse them or get them riled up, again, that's your best bet. So just go in, being confident. You are professionals. You can do this. Um, and again, rely on your teammates and just the experience that you had in, pre- in this previous year. Well, I mean, one of the things I'm hearing is communicate, 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 communicate. And so um, I think that's something that people can, you know, continue continually take to heart. Um, so, I mean, we talked a little bit about, you know, some of some social media stuff. And, and I'm just, you know, curious, um, you know, you, you've created like a, a fairly strong audience. And I know part of the people who listen to uh, to this podcast or the rest of the Teacher Graham family, you know, what would you say to them um, about, uh, you know, your particular role in, in, in the space and, and maybe some suggestions on, you know, how they grow their audiences? 
Yeah, so how I view myself in this role and what would I say to them about that is just, I view myself as really, in a sense, just like a friend to all of you, like someone that I'm just trying to offer a little smile here and there, um, offer some great tips and suggestions, some great resources that you might be able to use in your classroom. Honestly, I don't really view myself as like an authority. I think, you know, with social media, part of it is what you create and how you create it, but a big part of it is just luck too. So I feel like any of us could do this. If you are sharing your ideas consistently and putting your best work out there and making things look presentable, like support is going to come to you as long as you are putting good material out there. So I just feel like I'm teaching and just sharing my thoughts along the way. And I'm I'm, I'm continually just awestruck by the, the number of people that, um, that continue to support me and are just really um, invested in following my story as an educator. And, you know, now even my personal life, we've made a little bit of a transition to having some of that in my story and, you know, just sharing what's going on in the day to day. And I chose to do that because um, not everyone that follows me are, are teachers. Some of them are parents. Some of them are just people that for whatever reason, enjoy my content. Um, some of it is spiritual as well. So I have followers that are there for that reason. Um, now I lost my train of thought, but what was I saying? <laughs> I do that all the time. We all do. We all do. I mean, I mean, you, what you already shared, you know, it, it, it's it's you know, I hear authenticity, you know, kind of just ha having people come out and, and be themselves. Um, you talked about, you know, not being an authority, like you know, what I mean, yes. it, it, it's, it's something that that you know, we people get lucky, and all of a sudden, yeah. you know what I mean, a, a million people are are are, are following. Well, millions a lot, but um, <laughs> you know, a bunch of people start to start to follow you. Um, I guess in it, the, just the last part of it, do, like, do you feel any responsibility? What responsibility do you feel to the to the to the teacher community? Yeah, I feel a responsibility. Oh, what I was saying now, I remember I was saying that um, people forget that teachers are humans. Also, they for some reason think they were just robots. And I share my personal life to show like I'm doing this in the classroom. But when I go home, I still have to wash dishes and do laundry. And I have a flat tire this week. And, you know, bills are still due and things are going on so that the people that are not teachers can understand like, OK, we, we need to be a little bit more gentle with teachers because they're dealing with this pandemic and life and also teaching my children, not teaching our own children. I don't have children, but not teaching our own children, teaching other people's children. So we're really we're doing the best we can. No one becomes an educator with the intention of being malicious or causing harm to to children. So um, I like to share that aspect as well. Um, and then you asked another question that I forgot. <laughs> <laughs> well when it came back you just went yeah back. i had to roll with it so i had it you kind of answered it in there you kind of okay. answered it in there <laughs> and so i mean i think the best way for folks to kind of get the full understanding if you have not been following clemente where can they reach you so that they can get all of the goods that made us need to have you on the podcast yeah so pretty much across the board I'm at Mr. Clementine Teach. My primary platforms are TikTok and Instagram. Instagram is a little more comprehensive, I guess. You'll get um, educational material and ideas you can use in your classroom. You'll also get some comedy type stuff and you'll get my story where I share some of those um, behind the scenes day-to-day -day things. And then TikTok is more um, just where I do my like satire and humor and kind of poking fun at the all the avenues of being a teacher. Um, then I also have my website, Mr. Clementine Teach, that you can go to vis visit and um, potentially support by buying a book, one of my books, or by buying merchandise like backpacks and hoodies and those things as well. 
We love it. We absolutely love it. And please do go and support this gentleman. He's he's uh, you know spending his time to 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 help the students and teachers um, of this world to uh, you know to get through these crazy times and to you know to to grow to uh, you know, to love learning. So we love that. So we've reached the uh, part of the podcast where we allow um, our guest to become the interviewer. Um, and if you have any questions for me and Eva, please do ask. Um, my question for you is just with this podcast, the podcast has been something that's kind of popped up in my mind that, you know, we all have those ideas and visions of what could the, what could the future hold? Um, I don't think a podcast is in my future, but what you guys are doing is really amazing, just especially because you are a father-daughter team doing this really important work for education. So I'm just curious where you see um, your vision taking you in the next several years. You want me to take it over? Sure. Um, I think like the the way that we answer this when people ask, I think it's it it is very difficult to answer because I don't we don't think about black on black education as ours. We think it about it as ours. And so for mm -hmm. those of you who aren't watching on YouTube, I did like a big <laughs> arm motion situation um, because I think that like we have new ideas all the time. Dr. Chris Emden uh, just released an incredible book called Ratchedemic and we're gonna have a, a conversation with him and he's gonna do a Q&A and talk uh, with people who follow us and folks who support us about what it means to be a Ratchedemic and to look at and reimagine student success and so an academic success. And so I think that like it's ever changing what we wanna do. It's just about being responsive to the needs of educators um, around how they support their, their black students and students of color with intention, because I think that yes, you get that one class in your teacher prep program that's about diversity, or you have your race and equity and inclusion PD once a year, but like what is the work that's happening consistently um, to, to push past uh, the way the system was set up and how we can set up a new system that centers the needs of all students rather than having to push it in because it was left out before. Um, and so I think if I just think about what happens in the next few years, it's continuing to engage with people, growing how many folks are tapped into what we're doing and just thinking about um, the thoughts that we had before that might not make sense anymore and continuing to grow and expand. And all I'll add is that you know we 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 see you know to Eva's point like it's a, it's ours um it's it's a you know kind of community um, led uh, place where we develop a love of learning like like within our cult it's already a part of our culture but where where we expand it um, inside of our culture and it becomes what drives growth and development for our community at large so um, that's K through 12 um, ultimately that's adult like we, we want to be able to connect and work with various different organizations highlight the people who are doing the work that is expanding and developing um, our, our community we love our community like deeply and we we, we want to see our child challenges solved. Um, and if we can help to be um, a facilitator, a liaison, uh, you know, like a, a part of that, um, you know, there's, there's nothing that's that's uh, kind of closer to our heart. So um, it's a it's a it's a big, <laughs> you know, audacious, uh, you know, vision. But, uh, you know, I, I raised a real winner over there. Um, <laughs> and, uh, you know, if, if, if she's involved, I, I, I believe that uh, that is more than possible. Who, me? <laughs> well, I definitely appreciate the work that you guys are doing. And uh, one piece that I heard you both kind of mentioning is just 
you know, your future is, it's flexible, it's malleable because your vision is to be responsive to what educators need. And I was thinking back to another question you asked about any advice I would give to people who are trying to grow their platforms, which might be you or someone who's listening. And I think that piece right there is really important, just being responsive to what um, your supporters are asking for, what they're needing in their classroom and maybe even in their personal life, if that's an area that you feel like you can offer support. Um, and not thinking about numbers, thinking about the community that you that you have. Think about the support that you have, um, the people that take the time to DM, DM you and ask questions or thank you for what you're posting. Make sure you are interacting with those people because they are investing in you and investing in your brand and your vision. So you wanna return that favor and appreciation to them as well. And that's how you grow that community because now they are invested in you and they're gonna share their love and share the things that they see on your platform. Um, so I know you guys have been doing that. And as you continue to do that, I can only imagine where your platform is gonna go very soon. So. That's the Clementia Hall mic drop right there. <laughs> um, more than a pleasure, brother. We uh, we look forward to finding other ways to connect and work with you. Um, you know, next conference. You know, I, we definitely want you. Uh, you know, involved with the conversation around early childhood, um, and and you know, we just look forward to continuing to connect. So, um, thank you so much. A pleasure having you, and uh, we we definitely appreciate the time. Yes, thank you for having me. I appreciate thank being you. here. You guys take care. We will see you back for another episode of the Black on Black Education podcast. Have a good one.